0: Okay, well, let's pray, and then we will actually get started. Uh, Father, we come before you to proclaim your son's lordship, the lordship of our Christ, our Savior, to hear from your word, uh, and to build your church and expand your kingdom. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, fill us with wisdom and knowledge to do that, Lord. Without your grace, without your Holy Spirit, uh, we would be useless. We pray through Jesus Christ. Amen. So everybody should have an outline. You know it's been a good week for me if I gave you an outline and it makes sense. Normally if I give you an outline, I just take the parts of my notes and condense them down and eliminate everything but the scripture verses and give them to you. Uh, I've been told they're a little hard to follow, so this should be a little bit easier. It's really only one page. This is the back. We're going to go over a primer on church membership. Why GCF needs church membership. And so uh, you've probably heard us say this from the pulpit over the last few months about having a church membership class. Um, and so what happens in just any community, especially what happens here, is uh, the elders talk and then the leadership team talks, and we decide to move forward with something as a church, and then you hear it from the pulpit, and then the members are like, or the people, the congregants, the lay people are like, oh, okay. And uh, they're not usually a few steps behind in just how we move forward as a church and i uh and so we are going to be doing a church membership class um if you flip to the back side which is the gcf membership class rough draft outline this is super super rough draft uh this is super so rough draft i haven't even submitted it to the leadership team so not all of those things might be true on what we cover and so what we're going for <clears throat> is essentially, I'm going to put this out at the uh, beginning um, this morning, is it is going to be six weeks, and we had a, a short discussion, and I was like, well, if we're doing a church membership class, it's going to have to be like eight to 12 weeks, about two hours each se- session. And we're like, no, don't. <laughs> let's not do that. Uh, six 40-minute teachings with 20 minutes for Q&A afterwards. That's, which if you know how to do math, that's one hour. And... Thank you. thank you. One hour for class. And so um, we kind of went over, and this is just a really, really rough draft. So you guys can look over this and see what we're going to be covering in the church membership class. Because what I feel like happens is we talk as a leadership team and we discuss things and the elders teach us. And then so we as a group of, what is it, eight couples, seven or eight couples on the leadership team have come to this consensus of why we need something or why we're going to move forward as a church. And then so we have a good understanding, we feel, from the Lord moving forward. And then it doesn't always translate to the, uh, to the, to the members. And so I just want to put an overview of why we need church membership today. Some of this information or a lot of this information is going to be covered in the class. <clears throat> I would encourage you not to set off... Um, I don't know if there's anybody here that would do that, but from the beginning, say, no, I don't, I'm not going to be a member. That's not me. I would say, come to the class anyways. But what I'd like to see is we could, this is all up to, in the air, and just so people have an idea of what's going on, is we can do it on Sunday afternoons or, or Wednesday nights or, or Sunday evenings. But if, if it's going to be six weeks, if we start, start October 9th or 16th, we'll be completed with the class uh, by the first Sunday in Advent, which is November 27th. And that would be a great start to the Christian New Year. And so like I said, most of this information is covered in the class. If you look over the outline that we may use, it's going to look something like this, but this is not set in stone. Uh, But that's a good idea of what we'll cover. And so I'd be willing to bet that most congregants uh, would think of church membership uh, in the church, membership in the church, much like membership in a club. So we think of, like, if you go on to Wright State, as, as Rock Campus Fellowship goes on to Wright State here uh, tomorrow, as the first day of classes, uh, you're going to see all types of student activities and body life that you can join yourself to, to be part of of the university in a, in a sense where they've got swimming club, they've got soccer club, they've got uh, badminton club, bracket club, they've got rock climbing club, they've got philosophy club, they've anything that will pretty much tickle your fancy. I I even think there is a a pagan satanic club you could join. Uh, And I wouldn't suggest joining that one, So, just in case you are wondering. And so all these clubs are designed of we have a common thing unifying us or a common idea, and I'm going because I'm going to be around like people. That's actually not what church membership is. That's not the heart of church membership. There's a little bit of that in church membership. But, uh, like, I'm part of a real estate club online. I've never gone. And that's a club, or that's a membership, or that's a place where you go to where I could use other people to benefit me. I'm not really going to benefit other people necessarily, or I'm not keeping in contact. It might benefit, and there might be a mutual benefit. But that's a club where I'm going to uh, make a benefit for me. I'm going for my benefit. And church membership isn't like that either. That might be... Uh, an outcome of church membership, but that might be an outcome of being part of a congregation, but that's not the heart of it. And so essentially when you join a church, it is more like being a citizen of a country or a member of a family. And so you have on your outline Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And the citizenship thing is really probably the biggest aspect in Scripture. When Jesus came talking about the kingdom of God, you have to think of what a kingdom necessitates. It necessitates people. It necessitates a king. Kings have laws. A kingdom represents a, a cultural area that you have dominion over. And so if you were to go to, uh, let's just say, uh, Cal- or uh, Canada. I almost said California. Uh, I was thinking of the Hoffs. It's like they're from a whole other country. <laughs> but uh, Or the Heises, not the Hoffs. Hoffs are from a whole other planet. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they're strangers and aliens. <laughs> but if you go to a different country, they're not just going to let you in without seeing your passport, without seeing your papers. You need some type of identification. When you are part of a citizen in a, in a kingdom or in a country you don't just have you can't just freely come and go into other countries no no nation is set up that way uh even when you were in the roman uh back when in the first century in the roman colonies you had to have papers you had to know what you're a citizen of and or know where you're a citizen of and so we kind of negate all these ideas in scripture or all these Illusions in scripture that, that the apostles and Paul and the Old Testament writers use. And we just implement and supplant our, our own individualistic modern ideas in there. And so <clears throat> I've done this in my life. Most of us have probably done this to some degree, of where we just church shop and hop and hop from church to church, and we do that all of our lives, or we stay part of a church. I've been part of churches for years that there was no real membership. There was no real defined who's a member and who's not. And there was no, it was just come and if you go, sorry to see you go and uh, we might not even know that you go. And so, but the church is more, is is part of the kingdom of God. The church is God's primary vehicle through individuals to advance the kingdom of God on earth. And that's the primary illusion he uses is a kingdom. And so that means there's a king, there's laws, there's people, uh, you're a citizen, right? And so... Uh, also here in Ephesians, he says that you are, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And so I like to get like really into the practical, like away from the theological a lot of times, and just like, what are we going to do? And we'll understand the theological later, uh, or one person can understand it, but as long as we move forward, I tend to do that. And I really like the practical things. And so if you were In your family and you guys were having a family dinner and you guys were having a family meeting which i hope all families have and you're discussing or you're just at dinner and you're discussing what are we going to do this week let's say you're out at a restaurant and uh you're talking about what are we going to do this week we got tuesday and wednesday open maybe we should invite these people over for dinner maybe we should invite to go and do this and the waitress comes up and says and sits down and says well i was thinking we should go to king's island and you're like what what are you talking about? She's like, yeah. Well, I think we should go to King's Island, and if you guys put the bill, we'll come. I'll meet you there. I'll pack the sandwiches. Uh, I get a really good deal on the stuff out of the kitchen. You're going to be like, what do you... No, this is like our family. We're going somewhere. You're not part of our family. You're, you, might, you might invite them, but it's, you don't in, in welcome and invite other people outside of the family into family decisions. Those are usually closed-door thing, closed, uh, things. Now... Deciding where you're going to go and what you're going to do on Tuesday and Thursday evening is, uh, you might be open to other people's suggestions, but you kind of we kind of understand this in a family, we're working together. We're going to look at everyone's input. We're going to discuss it. We're going to be unified. If we're not unified as a family, then uh, house divide itself can't stand. It's, it's not going to be a very welcoming, unified, good family atmosphere. And so there's a lot of these illusions and a lot of these metaphors in scripture that we really have to play out that we really have to say this isn't just a theological heady idea yeah we're like a family Jesus calls it Paul says that we're like the household of God and that means we're a family and that makes me feel all warm and bubbly inside that means we have to actually live like a family Mm -hmm. that and there's certain ways that scripture necessitates that and a lot of things are up up for discussion and a lot of things are kind of what we'd call those in-betweens where church membership might look like this over here but church membership might look like this over here and it's not going to be exactly the same but there are going to be overarching themes so Hebrews 12 22 the writer says but you have come to Mount Zion the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned and enrolled in heaven, and so he points out two things that again we are like a city, we are a heavenly city, we are a city within a city, and we should operate that way. And so, um, uh, socially speaking, there's a couple things that happen uh, if let's just say two people got deserted on two separate ships and landed on an island and they've never met each other before. And like, wow, this is really weird. We're here. The first thing you're going to be like, all right, who's in charge? <laughs> who's in charge around here? When you walk into a new place, when you walk into a, a store, when you walk into uh, a business, any place of business, when you walk into any of those campus meetings, uh, of a, of the student meetings, one of the first things you always ask is, who's in charge? Mm-hmm. What's, what are we doing? Who's in charge and what are we doing? And so that's an aspect of, of living as a citizen is identifying who's in charge, what are we doing, how are we going to operate, and and our goal, obviously, as a church is to uh, do that in according to, to God's law, according to God's standards. And so those are the first things that should happen in, in a church. Those are the th- things that should happen pretty regularly and, and often. And so... First Peter, let's go to that one. First Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so... <clears throat> What the Hebrew writer says when you've come to the assembly of the firstborn, the word ekklesia, the Greek word for church, literally means the called out assembly. And so there's many ekklesias in the New Testament. If you go to Acts chapter 19, when they're rioting, uh, when they're rioting against Paul, they are called, the people who are rioting are called an ekklesia. They're a people who have been called out. They, are, they were called to something. They were called to riot. So I don't think that's what our, usually in scripture when you see the, the things you can easily identify as bad, we're not called to do that. Just so everybody knows, we're not called to, to riot. We're not that type of ecclesia. But they couldn't have been a people, they couldn't have been a group of people if they didn't assemble. If they didn't gather together. If they weren't, uh, they couldn't be individual and say, well, I'm going to be part of this riot on Tuesday and this riot on Wednesday. And they're never going to get anywhere with that. And so, um, what Peter's bringing out, and what I want to bring out, is that there, it's a people. He uses the nation analogy again, but it's a people who have been called out, who are gathered together. And so, part of church membership is just very simply gathering around a unity of mind and purpose and distinction, and saying, we are God's people, and we are here to do this. And so... Um, Hopefully, I'll leave myself a little bit of time to uh, talk a little bit about the outline because I think some people usually get like scared, like, "Oh, what am I getting myself into?" <laughs> like, I go, "No, like, what am I, what am I signing up for?" Well, if you if you do go to the the back of the outline that we might use, if you look for the qualifications for members, that's the shortest one, uh, and you're like, I know a lot of people deal with things like, I don't know if I. I like well will they choose me? I don't know. That's not how it works. Uh it's the qualifications are are you baptized and are you a professing believer? So if you you can give yourself a thumbs up if you're qualified. And uh it's like when you get when you get born to parents, what's your qualification to being uh, a son or a daughter? You're you were born. You're there. Uh <laughs> you're Right? Those are your qualifications. And so don't get, don't get uh, scared or anxious. Let tomorrow worry about tomorrow's. What we're trying to do in church membership is get more organized and unified as a body of people towards Christ's goal. And so <clears throat> but those people have to be gathered. They have to be assembled. They have to be uh, together. You can't really say you're a part of any church or just in the larger spectrum of any group if you don't identify with them and if you don't identify with the same ideas. I can't say I'm part of the soccer club at Wright State, uh, even if I wanted to, because I don't attend and uh, I, I don't feel the same way about soccer. I just don't. Uh, I like it, but I don't like it that much. Uh, I did play for a while, right? And, and even I couldn't say I was part of it. If I didn't, they'd, I'd show up and they'd be like, who are you? I'm like well I'm a member <laughs> i've <laughs> I've associated with you guys for years. you guys don't know who I am They're like, no, we've never met you because you've never uh you've never really become part of us and so that's what we're trying to do That's what uh Peter is bringing out with uh, a people who are, are gathered a people who are uh elected who are who have received mercy from God who are gathered together and so quite frankly, I would consider. Anybody a member, I'd already consider you a member if you attend regularly on Sundays, serve in some capacity, get discipled, which means either one-on-one discipleship that we offer or, or just attend a discipleship group and tithe. And so let's talk about those for a minute. Um, Hebrews 10.25 just says, simply, do not le- neglect the assembling, let me not quote it, uh, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. And so... If you ever search, you know, just do a Google search or some kind of search of like New Testament Bible verses on church attendance. And it's like you find like one or two or, or whatever. And it's not very much. It's because a lot of times these ideas in Scripture, if you don't presuppose them or if you don't already, if you assume that that's not in Scripture, then it won't even make any sense. None of the epistles could have made any sense if he wasn't writing to a people who regularly gathered together. And so ever since um, ever since Christ's resurrection on that first Easter Sunday, all of the Christians were meeting on, on the Lord's Day. They had taken the uh, Jewish Sabbath on Saturday and, and the New Covenant started on the first day of the week, started with grace on Sunday. And so if you... You just can't be part of a people if you don't meet together. You can't be part of a family if you're not there. Now, uh, I don't go over to my dad's house. I haven't lived you know, with my parents for, um, has it been almost half my life? It's been a good portion of my life now. So that would be, let's see, uh, 17 years. I haven't lived with my parents for 17 years. I moved out shortly after I was at, turned 18. And... So i don't go over there regularly i don't go and I don't go over there every day I don't live with them. I don't sit under my mom or dad's house rules anymore I've got my own family and my own household but I'm still part of the family because I see them regularly I'm still part of their family, but there's a a new family that's been built and that's in a new household and so um all that to say is is there is a, a, a of time, you know, especially if you're talking about a family when you move out and you become, and there's ways to do that, and so. But if you don't meet regularly, I'm not. My dad wouldn't say that I'm not part of the family, but I'm not part of his household. Is what I'm saying, and so if you don't assume regular attendance in the New Testament, just nothing makes sense, and you just can't really uh, be a member of any body of people if you don't attend, and so serve. First Peter four ten. Let's go there. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, a good steward, as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so if you take the flip of that, if you were to say that if you don't serve, are you telling me that God hasn't gifted you with anything? Has God given you a gift? Yeah? Use it to serve people. I don't know what that... I'm not going to micromanage and say, it looks like this, or you have to do this, or you have to sign up for the potluck to bring two pies, but that would be a good service to the people for the potluck next week. If you brought a blueberry pie or a pumpkin pie, those, those would be very good things, very good ways to serve. All the people would love it. I guarantee it, right? But if you don't, you're not really part of a family. We instilled, I instilled this in Lily when she was about, like, three or four, is, I think it comes out of Galatians, like, whoever doesn't work doesn't eat. And so, ever since she was three, she had to set the table. She had to, she had to be part of the family by working. By She doesn't get to just freeload as a three-year-old. Now she's eight, and she uh, she can sew, and she can do the dishes, and she does chores for money. We don't just make her labor all the time. She does do chores for money. And, but because to serve is to be part of the family. And if you don't, you're what, uh, what most parents would call a freeloader. And those parents usually get very disgruntled against their, their children for those reasons. And, and so I would consider you a member if you, if you serve. That, part of it is if you serve. Galatians five thirteen and 14. If you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. And so that's part of what we're doing as, as, as members, as a body of people who are going to stand together and say, reunified in, in love for one another, reunified in the Lordship of Christ, is that we're going to seek to love one another and serve one another. And we're going to regularly encourage everyone to do that. And so, get discipled, Hebrews ten seven. I'm gonna make you guys flip a lot unless he's putting it up on the screen. Look at that. I had a short as I'm turning there, I had a short discussion with uh, Noel last night about um, just encouraging people. Like maybe we shouldn't even put the stuff on the screen, and maybe we just can encourage you guys to open your Bibles and flip there. But either way, pay attention. Um. Where are we on? I'm in the wrong. I was in the wrong chapter. Okay. Hebrews 10 7. I'm sorry. It's Hebrews 13 7. Remember, leaders, those who spoke the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so, that's what you do as, think about in a household, as you imitate your mom and dad as you grow up. You're imitating and you're growing up into maturity. And so, if you attend regularly on Sundays, serve, you get discipled. Part of that is as a body of people imitating the. What I want to do is imi- imitate the more mature people. Sometimes Friday nights I want to imitate imitate the less mature people, but my wife holds me accountable, and so uh, we compromise. And and so, but what we what the writer of Hebrews is calling us to is imitate the those who led us to Christ, those who um, are, that we can tell are mature in Christ, and it says, consider their outcome and way of life. Is this a person who would be worth imitating? Look at their life, and directly corresponding to that is their faith. All right, let's go to Proverbs 3. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians. uh, Let's do 1 Corinthians 4. Let's do that one first. Because it comes first, it comes before First Corinthians eleven. So First Corinthians four verses fifteen through seventeen. <clears throat> uh, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. As I teach them everywhere in every church and so Paul wasn't just going around preaching this pietistic gospel of just believe and believe and believe and it doesn't matter what you do he was literally telling people this is how I want you to act this is how I want you to to conduct services this is how I want you to elect leaders this is how I want you to run a service this is what you should be doing and so he sent Timothy so that the Corinthians would learn how to act like Paul right we don 't normally think about that in discipleship of that we 're wanting to literally imitate uh, a father or mother in the faith, and so first Corinthians eleven one simply says, "Be imitators of me as I am of christ i 'll be the first one to say don 't imitate me how i don 't imitate Christ. Amen. Think about the flip side of that for a minute. Uh, so be imitators of me as I imitate Christ and so that 's part of discipleship. Uh, we talked about in the in the grace discipleship group this last time, of those three primary ways to be discipled, or there's three types of discipleship. That's informational, that's impartational, and that's formational. And so informational is what we normally do with teaching. You can read a good book, you can listen to a sermon, you can uh, uh, listen to other podcasts, these teachings. And a large part of the Western church's discipleship now is just information, just getting the information, just taking a class, just uh, reading a good book. And that's necessary. You can't really come to a knowledge of Christ in a true sense without information. And so then impartational is what Paul's saying here is is part of what Paul's saying here is, I want you to imitate me. It comes with close proximity with somebody of learning their passions, their desires, what makes them tick. And, and impartational is what you get from someone else's spirit, what you get when you spend a lot of time around somebody, All right? You get that. You get a passion for certain things. You get certain, um, I don't want to say insights, but you get a certain level of knowing somebody's heart just from spending a lot of time around them, right? One thing uh, I love about my wife is she loves to garden, and uh, you can understand that by going over to her house and seeing the garden, and you can understand that by talking to her. But if you were to know the passion she has and the joy she gets when she picks a tomato out of her garden, that's something to experience. That's, that's a deeper level of, of knowing somebody. And so, and the third one is formational, and this always comes last. We don't start with formational of, of formational is in the positive, you should do this. You should go in this direction. You should consider, uh, you know, you should consider maybe controlling your tongue. You can maybe consider, you know, how those life decisions might affect you. You know, there's always there's the positive aspect of formation of of go this way, or and then there's the negative aspect, as in correction of and forming for, for character. Hey, I noticed you came to church drunk. You shouldn't do that. Uh, that's a corrective action, right? And so formation always comes last, always should be. You should never, we, and we don't seek to start with correcting or with for, forming. That always comes after informational, after you hear the gospel, after you see how we live, after we spend time with you, after, you know, it might be, might be multiple years sometimes, and then we would get to formational. But that is a part of discipleship. That even happens the more we live as a community of people together. You get not just not just from the pulpit or not just from the, the preachers or, or elders or leaders. You get formational uh, and impartational and informational discipleship from the community of people you live with, the community of people you spend the most time with. And I always like it when there is a, a sin issue that needs to be addressed and someone else just takes care of it because they spend more time. And that's good for me. So, do it. Um, and so, getting discipled is, I would consider, if you attend regularly on Sundays, you serve and get discipled in some capacity, you would already be a member of our church. And then the last one is tithe. So, Matthew 23, 23, I'll be the, maybe I'm a pessimist at heart, who knows. Actually, you guys probably know. But uh, I'm always the one that I'm like, when I say, I would consider you a member if you do these four things and tithe is one of them, and then instantly I'm thinking, well, someone's going to say, I don't want to be a member, and I can get out of tithing. But maybe that's just the pessimist in me. We'll see. So let's go to Matthew 23, 23. One of Jesus' woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Ah, let's just stop there. They tithed. Woe to them. No, for you tithe mints and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And so very simply, Jesus instills uh, the the mandatory, uh, the tithe uh, of your produce, of your income. Let's go to Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Where are we going? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of all your produce. Then the bars will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And so I I really don't know how to say this except for it's a biblical concept. It's a it's it should be instilled in your mind as I always I've talked a lot with Connor about this because he's a finance major. Is I judge, I really just judge how much people are living in reality by their budget by how much, by, by what they spend. You got to eat, you got to pay the electricity. Uh, if you ever have any hopes and desires to do anything in life, I guarantee you it takes money or at least you have to buy enough food to live that long, to reach that goal. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm. And so what he's saying here in Proverbs, um, to honor the Lord with your wealth, with all the first fruit of your produce, then your burdens will be filled with plenty. Quite frankly, as a church, we have an electricity bill. They don't give it to us for free. We have lunch every Sunday. That's not free. There's no free lunch. Well, there is... A, I would not want to say it's free. There is a... Never mind. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Not worth our time right now. But, right, those things aren't free. Um, if you were here at the members' meeting we just had, we talked about our finances and and how we're doing as a church, right? None of these things... And we have hopes and aspirations as a church, of what God's called us to, to spread the gospel in places like India. That takes a lot of money to, to get over there and plant a church. We have a lot of things we want to do in our community in Dayton that take money. And so if you don't get that and to be part of that team, um, then, then uh, I, I hope the Lord gives you insight. Let's go to Proverbs eleven twenty four real quick. <clears throat> one freely gives yet grows all the richer another withholds what he should give and only suffers want and a lot of times um, I've heard pastors use this same Bible verse to manipulate people or to urge people into giving more and more and more in some prosperity gospel type of way but really the beyond you, if everyone just tithes faithfully we, you only need ten families to have a a prosperous church. You really that's the math. If everyone gives ten percent and you have ten families, then you can at least have one full-time pastor. There you go. And but what we want to do, what I was saying is as as we as people give, we have aspirations, we've had it for years since we bought this building, to build a playground. That would be incredibly useful, not just for our congregation, but for the surrounding we would have tons of we would, that would open up a door to ministry to the kids in the neighborhood, right? And so those things take money. And as um, as we move towards church membership and have official roles and, and members, we're not going to have a yearly church membership uh, meeting. We're going to have at least quarterly members meetings, and we're going to go over our finances and say, this is how we're doing. We've got this much money. What do you guys want to do? And usually... They'll be like, I shouldn't say usually because we don't do this yet, but I just suppose a single brother will raise his hand and say, throw a party? No, we probably won't use it to party. And we'll have, like, where are we going as a church? What are we going to use our finances for? How can we advance the kingdom of God? How can, we, how can we reach out to more people in our neighborhood? How can we throw a great party, a great celebration, our yearly church picnic coming up, so that everybody in the neighborhood knows that we are Christians and we like to party? How do we, we, we shouldn't celebrate in a way that people are like, yeah, I don't want to be a Christian because when they celebrate, it's, it's not very fun. Uh, so hopefully our church picnic, which costs a lot of money, will be one of, of giant celebration. And so other qualifications, like we said earlier, like I said earlier, baptism and agree. And when I say you're a professed believer, essentially that's just agreeing and, with, and professing the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. And so hopefully you know those, at least the Nicene Creed by Heart, if you've been coming for a couple months, at least, because we recite it every Sunday, and once a month uh we do the Apostles Creed. <clears throat> so let's look at some other verses to consider. And so I my goal is that I think or my goal is that I would love everyone to just be super encouraged about church membership and where we're going as a church forward. And uh and not at all worrisome um so ephesians 4 25 therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another and so one of those things i don't know if i said it at the beginning is you'll never find like a verse about church membership this is really the closest one you'll find but if you don't assume it in scripture then it just doesn't make any sense if you don't assume that people know who are members or who are not then it just doesn't make any sense and so we are, we want to, we on a real um, practical level, we want to know who, who are going to be members of one another. And we'll have a, a roster, a list of people who have been through the church membership class and want to be members that are saying, I want to honor God and profess Christ and I want to be unified in his church. If you don't want that, then I don't know what you're doing. And so, um, and so membership is one of those things that that's assumed in Scripture and that how we're going to set it up or how we're going to walk it out is that we know who are members of one another. And we're going to know, uh, uh, you know, we're going to have a roster. And so John thirteen thirty five another verse to consider. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so... When we think about that in our, in our modern evangelical, like Americanized way of like, we just think of like love and, and feelings. But this is practical ways. One of the um, things that I, I don't know why it comes first, first in my mind, is when you talk about how the world sees and knows that we have love for one another, go to First Timothy 5 and see how Paul's telling Timothy to monetarily take care of widows. Right, Think about how in James where he instantly says, don't give seats of honor to people just because they're rich. Right, Don't play favorites. And he's putting these church structures in, in play so that people will love one another in real ways. Right, uh, As we talked about in, in Acts 6, when the seven uh, deacons were raised up, that was because the apostles wanted to make sure that everybody was getting cared for and loved for and that they weren't being uh, racist or sectarian. And, and so how we operate as a church and how we uh, divide up finances to people in need and how we help people and how we disciple people is how the world sees that we love one another. It's probably happens maybe more frequently on a one-to-one level of coming out in conversation that like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this because they're they're Christian and we don't get along you know, on a lot of things, but I love them anyways. And you might be able to translate that or be able to communicate that to somebody in the world on an individual basis, but really when the whole church does it, it's way more powerful and way more people see it. And so that's what we're trying to do. Um, and so... As we kind of close, I do want to mention that we are, if we start in October and we do this church membership and, and we move forward with it, uh, we will have a church membership, but realistically, what we're trying to do in a church, in an ecclesia, in a community, it's probably gonna take two to three years for us all to get the idea of it and instill it in our lifestyle. Does that make sense? A lot of times, like when we do informational discipleship, like I've, I can read in Proverbs, some am open to Proverbs 12. Uh, I'll mention this one every, every time. Whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. stupid. We all know that one, right? Uh, and so uh, I could read that every day. I could read that often. If I'm doing my normal scripture readings, I'm reading that at least uh, 12 times a year. And mine, and but it's gonna take a long time for that to get instilled in my life. And it's still—I've been a Christian for about eight years now, eight or nine years—and it's still, we're still working on it. I'm, uh, I, I just got corrected last night, and I didn't like it, but it was truth, and it was in love, and I had to fight to accept it. Right? So, these ideas of, of of church membership go beyond just what we're trying to just teach and and get a roster and implement it, and then we'll move on to the next thing. What we're trying to do in a small city, in a small community of people, is build a lifestyle of church membership. Build a lifestyle of professing and affirming Christ's lordship. Build a lifestyle of service to one another. Build a lifestyle... Of unity in mind and in heart and in action, and so I hope everybody's excited about it. If you get a chance this week or in the next few weeks, uh, look at the outline, um, some of these things uh, you know like on number uh, the membership responsibilities and privileges that 's the the biggest section, just because people want to know what do I, what do I do? What am I supposed to do? Um, the one thing Josiah pointed out that we need in there is is worship fellowship and and kind of a community lifestyle and so some of these things might not we don't talk about some of these things most of the things we probably will and so I want everyone to be kind of excited towards where we're going with church membership see the necessity of it and kind of ask yourself how can I how do I get on board how do I if I don't know the mission of GCF how do I understand the mission? How, do I, how can I move forward? How do I live more in loving you know, the other members of GCF? And so we'll probably talk about this maybe a couple more times in some capacity before we actually roll out the class. And we're hoping for, what do we say, mid-October. And so if you have any questions on that, let me know at some point. But let's close in prayer and drink more coffee. Father, thank you uh, for your word, thank you for your Holy Spirit, and thank you for your church. We pray as we, as we move towards worship of praise of you this morning that you give us hearts that would proclaim your excellencies, that we would loudly proclaim with excitement how marvelous and how great you are, and we'd see your work that you're doing with us and, and in all of your creation through Jesus Christ. Amen.